This is Bill Wolkoff, and you're listening to Open Pike Night, the most grappler-forward podcast in the quadrant. Is this thing on? Hello, hello. Welcome to Open Bike Night, the Strange New Worlds podcast where your calls are our prime directive. I'm your host, John T. Bolds. With me tonight are my co-hosts, the man who's always singing the praises of Strange New Worlds, host of Sudden But Inevitable, Jesse. I promise I won't sing anything. <laughs> and the man who's excited to cross over from his main show, bringing spoilers from the future, host of Green Shirt and Newbie Struck Through the Next Generation, Cameron. Don't you dare besmirch the names of my grandparents. They were scientists. <laughs> and our guest tonight, returning for his third time on the Open Pike Night stage, is a captain, a recent double strike veteran, as well as a prolific sci-fi TV scribe, including credits for two of Star Trek's biggest swings ever and hits. A man whose lobster claws never interfere with the tying of a necktie. Please join us, welcoming the indomitable Mr. Bill Wilkoff. They're not sick of me yet, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> never. <laughs> Bill, how are you how doing? How could we be? I, I'm good. I, I, I know this is uh, a podcast, but uh, Jesse, uh, John, and Cameron just saw my son walking in the background, and uh, he just got back from school. And it's uh, just as a brief aside... It's persimmon season right now, oh. uh, and uh, it's so you know persimmons are only around uh, until you know uh, the beginning of December. Uh, so my son has taken it upon himself to get me as many as possible, uh, <laughs> and they give them uh, they're handing them out at the cafeteria. So he just brought me four persimmons uh, there that are now sitting <laughs> oh, yeah. by my my, my my printer. It was that was a persimmon delivery. Excellent. Uh, you know, you're just, raising uh, them right. So the listeners are aware. I was going to say, first time ever, first time ever on Open Pike Night, a persimmon delivery yes. live. Yeah. <laughs> live persimmon delivery. It's very exciting, very colorful. <laughs> we did once have Onitra Johnson's uh, sister crawl behind her on camera to get ice cream without making any noise, but this is still a first for persimmons. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he brought enough to share for everybody. Nice. Good <laughs> Much kid. appreciated. So, Bill, the last time you were here, you faithfully predicted that the WGA would have a historical new contract, and it has been lauded as such. First of all, congratulations. And second of all, how does it feel? Fantastic. Uh, it feels like a lifetime ago already, but it's only been a little more than a month. Well, actually, it's we're, we're closing in on two months since, since we ended our strike. Uh, but it, yeah, we're taking the long victory lap. <laughs> it's going to take, obviously, it's going to take a lot of time for this contract to be tested out and really trickle down uh, to all of our, you know, 13,000 members on both coasts. But we, we made transformative change um, and we knew that we weren't going to get every single thing. Um, when we first started negotiating, we were told nine of our proposals were not even, never even responded to total non-starters. They were, we were told we will never, ever get those things. And we got them all. <laughs> uh, so 
you know, and and that all happened in the last three days of the strike. So it's uh, uh, it's a real testament to the power of labor, where members really stand up for for the value that they create. As a member of the Writers Guild and Screen Actors Guild, uh, thank you, the new guy. Is that is that where that credit <laughs> came from? <laughs> uh, I I have been a, a a member of the Screen Actors Guild, believe it or not, since 1986. Oh, oh, uh, I was a child wow. actor. Oh, I'm going to have to hunt um, down some of that information. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I was I I acted in commercials when I was a little kid. Um, the I, I, my mother, when I was four years old, uh, I'll tell you this brief story, mm -hmm. answered an open casting call for a horror movie called The Shining uh, in Chicago. And uh, I was brought to LA for a screen test. I, I apparently did really well, uh, and, but I was only four. Um, <laughs> and the, I didn't meet Kubrick. Uh, he was in <laughs> London, but there, his, his casting director told my mom, okay, so we're going to play make-believe with... Uh, she called me Billy, uh, but I go by Bill now. Uh, we're going to play make-believe with Billy. We're going to make-believe that that uh, monsters are coming out, down out of the ceiling and trying to get him, and that the walls are dripping with blood, and uh, waves of blood are splashing towards him, and we're going to see how that goes. So I'm going to take him into a, your four-year-old into a room alone, and we're going to play all that make-believe. And mom's fine. Yeah, take him. Take him. <laughs> cool with me. Cool with me. Uh, and apparently I was good at playing make-believe. I did, obviously I didn't get the part, um, but uh, that led to me being a child actor. Uh, and I was in a bunch of commercials and I, I had auditioned for many movies that you know and didn't get in any of them, but I was in a bunch of commercials uh, and, and I acted in you know high school and college. Uh, so I kept, I always paid my dues. And then I, I was the director's assistant for the movie, The New Guy. <laughs> I wound up having a small scene with uh, Vanilla Ice. Uh, oh, in, in man. The guy. <laughs> well, now we know where all the uh, the emotional turmoil for Lift Us Where Suffering Cannot Reach came from. So. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Thank you, The Shining. Uh, yep. Well, yes, as a member of both the guilds, how, how many days were you on strike? I'm sure you've got the number in your head. Uh, well, it was 148 days for... The WGA it was 118 days for SAG-AFTRA. I think when you overlap them together, I, I could be slightly wrong. I think it was 197 days. Okay. Total. Wow! Um, but uh, I, my math on that part might be might be off by a day or or, or two. But uh, mm -hmm. um, and SAG-AFTRA, I got to say, Star Trek luminary Jerry Ryan being being one of them, um, and Francis Fisher being another one. Francis Fisher came to TV City where I was the lot coordinator on day one. Of the WGA strike, uh, and I met her there uh, that day, and she came out consistently through the entire WGA strike. Uh, you know, they were out. You know, uh, there was a core group of of SAG-AFTRA that were heroes, union uh, heroes that that uh, really inspired the movement that that got us got us where we are. And uh, I'm proud to know all of them. So what I'm hearing is strikes work. They do. Yeah. <laughs> They do. What was it like seeing season two uh, air and everyone talk about it and, and all the, uh, the the fan celebration for all your hard work while you were unable to talk about it? Oh, my God. I was uh, it was wonderful and horrible. Uh, I had so much <laughs> that I wanted to say, I so much that I wanted to shout from the rooftops. I'm a, a member of SAG-AFTRA and SAG-AFTRA had very strict rules about promotion. Uh, the WGA's rules were a little different. And, and the reason behind that, uh, writers tend to get get ignored in publicity and press. So it's important that writers be able to say, somebody wrote this. Um, and Paramount has been really good about it. They, 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 they include uh, 
writers and their in their publicity. But it's uh, t- traditionally the writer gets completely forgotten. Um, so it, it's it the WGA was in you know a real bind where. They, on, on the one hand, they didn't want to do any promotion for the studios and the companies. But on the other hand, they didn't want to push writers further into the background than we already are. So mm. the compromise that they came up with was writers can uh, uh, self-promote as long as it's not at the request of the studio or company. Mm. Um, actors actors are very visible in publicity. And uh, that's how a lot of the, you know, like movies get viewers through through actor publicity. So they were very strict. No, no publicity anywhere. And I just wanted to respect that and not, you know, tout the amazing performers who are in the episodes that uh, we did in season two and the episodes that I had the pleasure of getting the honor of getting to write. Um, so yeah, it was, uh, it was a delight seeing our, our, our season get well received. And we felt that on the picket line, uh, the fans, thank you, Star Trek fans. We, all of us uh, felt your love and your presence and that kept us going. Um, and uh, um uh, I'll give a shout out to uh, Claire Willett and the Star Trek uh, Snack Squad. Claire Willett is a fan and playwright who lives in Oregon and organized an army of volunteers who sent regular food deliveries and supply deliveries to Paramount, to CBS, TV City, to Disney, basically to everywhere uh, we had uh, Star Trek writers and performers on picket lines. And, and and there was an army that 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 worked with her, and I'm I'm uh, forgive me, I don't have the names of everybody in her in the army that she organized, but uh, I I I want to thank every single one of you that kept us going and was a shot in the arm every time a delivery came, not only for Star Trek writers but for every writer and actor who was out there for the uh, duration of the uh, this labor action. Awesome, excellent, excellent. very cool. Well, we do have a few calls tonight. A couple of them are just pure praise, so we'll start with one of those. <laughs> Greetings, Open Pike and Mr. Wolkoff. This is Kelly Zent-Georgi, or Antipodal, on Twitter. Mr. Wolkoff, congratulations and best wishes to you and all the writers and actors who stood fast in their long strike against the studios. I'm so proud of you all and very happy that you reached an equitable conclusion. Best wishes for Star Trek Strange New Worlds Season 3 production. I think one thing that most fans would like to see is more episodes per season, as long as it doesn't deter from the quality of the episodes. We would also like to see some more short Trek episodes if possible. Thank you, Open Pike. Best wishes during the long hiatus until Season 3, and hailing frequencies are closed. Hi, Kelly. Uh, thank you for being such a big fan of the show. I, I Kelly posts a lot about Strange New Worlds, and uh, 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 we uh, appreciate that. Great questions. The nature of streaming, the way that the business model works for the networks, they tend to fall to 10-episode seasons. Um, Listen, uh, I, uh, Kelly. I, everybody on the Strange New World staff, I think I, uh, you know, I, I can say this with certainty. Would would love more episodes per season. <laughs> they, we have we have many stories that we want to tell, and and uh, it would it would really, uh, you know, free us up to explore more uh, areas of the world. Uh, it makes us very disciplined. Uh, in you know, that's one good thing is that we you know we work very very hard to make sure we are we are using everybody as much as we possibly can. But it w- it would be great. 
to have more episodes. Um, I don't know if that's a possibility in the in the the current business model for streaming networks, but uh, that's that's why. I have no idea why we don't have more short treks right now. Um, the the short treks were really active during the infancy of uh, CBS All Access, mm-hmm. which is what became. Paramount Plus, and I think it it allowed CBS All Access to have Star Trek on more times during the during the year. But still, it would be yeah. Short Treks are wonderful. I love yeah. uh, you know I I I came into the world uh, when they stopped being made, and I would I would you know kill to get to write and produce one. They look really fun. I, I'm I'm going to disagree with Kelly real quick and just say I'll take some solid sixes if it means we can have 15 episodes <laughs> per season. Like, please, like phone it in every once Sometimes in a while. Sometimes the sixes it means are interesting. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like you can have fun with the sixes, you know. <laughs> All right. Well, it is time to let you brag about your hard work on season two. So let's talk about those old scientists. Jesse, you want to start us off? You really managed to blend the emotionally conscious feel of the TNG Lower Decks era with the more swashbuckling, adventurous feel of TOS and Strange New Worlds. Was the balance of tone something that required a lot of maintenance, or did it kind of flow naturally given your modern writing sensibilities? Uh, it was a real collaborative effort, and I, you know, I want to credit. Catlin, uh, who I co-wrote the episode with, and also Henry Myers, our, our showrunner, um, uh, along with Akiva Goldsman. Uh, but Henry really got got in in the weeds with us on, on on this one in the best way. And also Mike McMahon. Mike really came and like we we were. It was scary because we were borrowing major characters from another show, you know, that has a completely different tone than ours. And we're you know we cat comes from Lower Decks, but. Mike, you know, really helped us make sure that we were not only were we telling a strange new world story, but we were also telling a story, you know, that uh, was true to Boimler and to Mariner. And we went through many, many drafts um, uh, in the best way, which happens a lot in TV. Mm-hmm. Uh, but and we, we write lots of drafts and every other episode <laughs> has lots of drafts, but double that for for uh, those old scientists. Um, and so it took because it was a big swing and it took us a while to really make sure we were telling story that was was true to to both tones. And then, so that was part one. Part two was pulling it off. <laughs> um, and that required Jack Quaid and Tawny Newsom, who are not only brilliant voice actors, but brilliant live action actors. Yeah. Amazing dramatic actors too. They have the flexibility to do comedy and and drama. And they have they bring a very different tone with them. Uh, and so here's where our cast really stepped up to the plate because we 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 did not want to drown out their tone. Like we for for uh, Boimler and Mariner, they were they were you know they were two comedy actors trapped in a drama. <laughs> and for all of our cast, it was you know uh, and they they're playful and we do comedy, but it's really a swashbuckling drama with these two agents of chaos <laughs> let loose in 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 the world and. Uh, um, our cast met met the tone, met the improvisational tone that Jack and and Tawny brought, and we were given the mandate from the beginning from from Henry uh, because Lower Decks is very improvisational. You know, they they do a lot of improv to find where you land on, which is what ha- you know that's like you know like shows like Curb Your Enthusiasm do that a lot. Uh, we had a script, but but it we had the room for improv, and that's not something we t- we tend to do on 
on Strange New Worlds. And our, our cast really was able to to meet that uh, and add to that, but also maintain, you know, the the tone in the world that 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 we have. And and uh, it took a lot of work, but once we got to the set, we really felt like we had five thousand, you know, drafts <laughs> to get to get the right draft. <laughs> Uh, we did not have 5,000 takes. We had just as nor- <laughs> the many takes as we would normally have. And just we, we shot the episode in, in the right amount of time. And what a shepherd that we had and genius director, uh, a tour director we had in Jonathan Frakes, uh, yeah. um, who is the perfect, uh, the perfect shepherd to bring this through. So all these elements really came together and we saw them come together on the set. And it was that, that was really uh, awesome. That was uh, how we got to match those two tones. Well, we had a write-in from one of our listeners, David Jones, and you pretty much just answered it about how you integrated live action and animation. Very cool. Any roads or bits you went down in those previous takes that didn't make it to the final, but you still kind of enjoyed on their own that you could share with? Anson, boy, did he meet the meet the day. Uh, <laughs> he was such a delight uh, and, and really brought great moments that I never expected. He had one moment when, at the very end of the episode, when you hear Rutherford and Tendi saying, oh, should we come get you? And he goes, no. (laughs) (laughs) And it took us a long time to get the right, but he had some that were so funny, like (laughs) some that were very big. And it wasn't that he didn't like them. It was just, I can't go through this again. (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, And I, you know. Uh, if if uh, there's a gag reel, gosh, I hope we can string together oh, all of man. the that he did because they, oh. they were great. <laughs> yeah. We hope. We have a great caller question actually about ad libs here. Here is Abby. Hey, hey, Open Pike and Mr. Bill Walkoff. First of all, Union Strong. The last time you chatted with these fine gentlemen, I was telling you how we're a proud teacher union household, and I could not be more thrilled that you guys held the line for as long as you did and got the outcome that you did. I am so proud of everybody who was part of this struggle. And you know what? It works. So bravo. My question for you this time, now that you can talk more specifics, is I know that Trek is famously word perfect from script to screen, but there were some times in a few of the episodes that we are chatting about today, specifically those old scientists, where um, the actors have said that they improvised. Most specifically, I'm thinking about the Riker on the saddle from Jack Quaid, which might be my favorite part of the entire episode. So I'm wondering how you feel about ad-libbing and and what the process is now versus what it used to be, or if it's um, director and episode specific, and a few more details on that kind of stuff. Because we know that when people who love Trek are on Trek, they can't help but uh, show that love in lots of different ways. So glad to hear from all of you and hope you and yours are well. We'll talk soon. First, Abby, teachers are heroes to me. So thank you. Brief strike aside, uh, we had the LAUSD, uh, uh, probably the uh, the LA Teachers Union come out from the LAUSD, and they really taught us how to strike. Teachers do not mess around. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, that was one of the most exciting days at TV City was when we had uh, uh, the Teachers Union come out, and they they uh, really took over TV City. Uh, it was glorious. Um, I'll tell you one tidbit from that scene. Um, because that scene, we we made the episode during I think it was Omicron, um, or there there was another big COVID outbreak happening, and we were beset with COVID during during the episode. And Jack's 
schedule was so tight because he was uh, in the middle of shooting a small movie called Oppenheimer. And we didn't think we were going to be able to get them back. And uh, then Hero Jack Wade was able to work it out with, uh, you know, uh, Mr. Christopher <laughs> Mr. Nolan to get, you know, yeah. uh, to get uh, a couple more days to come back to Toronto in the middle of shooting that movie. And then, then Henry said, oh, great. It had to be in the ready room. <laughs> and uh, so I'm like, what do we get? You know, and we had like, five minutes to like come up with the scene and Kat and I are putting our heads together. Uh, and we're like, okay, Jack has just, le- uh, uh, Boiler has just left uh, La'an uh, and he's going to be in the ready room for five minutes before he beams down because he needs to be contained somewhere. Uh, <laughs> and we've got that saddle. <laughs> so he can't resist. He gets on the saddle. Uh, and so that scene was written very quickly. Like the day before Jack got to set to reshoot this, we had very little time to shoot it too. <laughs> By the way, what's just getting him on the saddle? Like we had to have like a team of prop people come out and make sure the saddle was <laughs> person ready to you hold know? somebody. Like, yeah, because <laughs> nobody had sat on that before. Uh, and uh, yeah, so that you know, and that was the perfect you know instance for improv. Like, what what do you say when you get on the saddle? Man. The, uh, I mean, it was a be- it was a thing of beauty. Uh, when he said Riker, and there were the other things that he said too. That that's another great moment of like we should put in the gag reel all the all the <laughs> outtakes from that but Riker was the best one and we we're like okay we got to use that <laughs> yeah man that's that blows me away because you cannot tell that that scene was at all rushed or not part of the original script like it it fits perfectly yeah. that is that is very impressive that's tv production i mean that happens all the time in tv too you lose actors for reasons and in, in the world of covid like mm. that makes it even more so like we so we, we did a lot of writing on the fly. I think Kat and I wrote that in the van. On yeah, the nice. <laughs> nice. Man. So Lower Decks thrives on loving jabs and starry-eyed references to the treks of the past. What did it feel like to base those on your own cast of characters? John, you're, that's the heart of the episode. <laughs> yeah. It's like, what what's that's that was the reason to do the episode. Uh, Boimler is a stand-in for, you know, the biggest He's such a fan of Starfleet that the metaphor is us, you know, the the biggest Star Trek fan. So, like, what if the biggest Star Trek fan in the world gets to be on the original Enterprise? Um, and so that was that was our in for the ep- and then you bring in, you know, uh, the chaotic realist mm-hmm. about uh, you know uh, everything, <laughs> kind of bring them back down uh, a little bit. Uh, um, but uh, yeah, that was uh, it. Allowed us to put ourselves in the in 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 uh, uh, Boimler's position, mm-hmm. you know. So the moment that uh, when he comes onto the bridge for the first time, and he realizes yeah. he's on the bridge, and you're in his point of view, and yeah. you know, Frakes knew exactly what to do to to bring us in there. You know, that's us. Mm-hmm. That's all. That's that's the four of us and everybody listening being on mm-hmm. the bridge for the first time, in the middle of you know, <laughs> uh, a tense standoff with an Orion pirate <laughs> who's not really a pirate. Yeah. Scientist. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of uh, being a starry-eyed fan uh, in love with Starfleet and Star Trek, was that your first time meeting Jonathan Frakes? And what was that like? Yes. Yeah. Oh, oh man. Everything you'd want it to be. Everything you'd want it to be. Um, he, he, you know, he is beloved for, for, for a reason. One of my favorite experiences uh, being on set. He's very open, very inclusive, very collaborative. He just uh, makes makes it fun to be on set, uh, but he, get, he gets the work done. Um, and uh, it was, uh, uh, yeah, it, you know, I had to pinch myself several times, but it was a wonderful collaborative experience. Does anyone ever accidentally call him Riker? <laughs> be honest. I mean, I wanted to call him Riker, but, uh, uh, you know. Uh, <laughs> so it's a conscious effort is what you're saying. <laughs> 
Well, as, a, as just looking for writing tips here, how would you write Spot Gives the Creepiest Smile of TV History into a script? How do you how do you format that <laughs> Basically, as you just described okay. it. I mean, it was, it was not far <laughs> off from, from what you did. I mean, just Spock smiling is off-putting. Sure. Uh, so, and Ethan, boy, does he, you know, did, I mean, he's, 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 what's so great about Ethan is he, he really is able to channel, you know, like, he takes the spirit of of uh, uh, Nimoy, but it's 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 his own. It, it's not Nimoy. It's not mm -hmm. an imitation. Mm -hmm. He really doesn't have it in himself, and he's made it, it. He's made it separate from Nimoy, but you still feel, you know, like the the, the honoring of 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 the legacy of, of of Nimoy's Spock, and he's also Spock at a very different time in his life than we than we meet him in the original series. Um, so he knew how to sell that smile. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you had to pick one joke from those old scientists that you feel almost maybe not most proud but incredibly proud of having written do you have one off the top of your head uh it's we 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 do things so fast and furious like uh it's hard to you know like pinpoint and it's it is really a collaborative experience um my way of chickening out of like uh like laying claim <laughs> to uh uh you know i mean i, I mentioned i mentioned uh the you know I'm, I'm probably most proud of of the work Kat and I did, you know, at the very last second, you mm, know, when we yeah. had one, you know, set and how are you going to write a whole scene and really make it funny and, you know, uh, oh, the saddle, you know, so I think I'm probably, you know, uh, most proud of that. Um, yeah. But, uh, um, you know, I could also just take credit for other jokes that that I necessarily didn't, you know, write and, you know, like were, were <laughs> Who's awesome. Know, so right, yeah. pick anyone, <laughs> really, any joke that made you laugh. That's my favorite. <laughs> nice. Oh, nice. man, that was my favorite, too. That's so cool. Well, then what about non-jokes? Because I think everyone was surprised by how emotional parts of those old scientists are, especially the, Holy they put that yeah. on the poster. That line, I think, I'm just, I'm getting goosebumps Ooh. right now, just repeating the line. Uh, and I don't deliver it as well as Rebecca Romain. That's right. Um, like, was that an intention going into the script? It was like, you know what? We're going to make this funny as hell, but we're we're going to hit some emotional heartstrings. Or did that kind of just come up organically while writing? No, we wanted it to be emotional from from the beginning. I mean, it's yeah. it's uh, to sustain sustain itself too, you know. And like the the laughs have to lead lead you somewhere too. Uh, and there is something emotional behind it too. I mean, it's 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 be careful what you wish for. You know, it is everybody's <laughs> fantasy to be caught to be on the Enterprise, but then uh, they're facing an existential crisis of being trapped there. And there is an emotion to that, you know. And like, what are you going to do with your with 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 your life? And um, I, I God, I, I. I'm now I'm slightly embarrassed that I don't remember if this made it into the final cut. I should know this because I've seen it five billion <laughs> times. But you know, we had a we we had a beat in in the in the script that may not still be in it where where, where Jack was talking about. Well, if I'm stuck here, uh, I'm going to go to uh, yeah mm. the island you know um, that uh, fictional island that they that they uh, created in uh, first, first contact. contact. Yeah, that you know like because like what else are you going to do? Like you don't want to mess up history. So like I, I guess we got to go there and you know. That's somebody that who not, not only, you know, is a fan, but somebody who feels the responsibility of, you know, being a Starfleet officer and, and wanting to, you know, not, uh, I might have to make this sacrifice and give up, you know, a, the, the, any semblance of a life that I, that I, that I wanted uh, in order to uh, not mess up the timelines. Mm -hmm. uh, so same with the, the story with Rebecca, like, you know, we had this funny beat, like Re Rebecca is just so like great at being <laughs> 
uh, intimidating and intimidating number one. Um, and so it just seemed a natural that, you know, uh, Boimler would be intimidated by, by, by her. Um, and we wanted to, you know, we, we, we wanted that to feel real and not just like a cheap jab, you know, mm-hmm. just because she's, you know, uh, she is a supermodel, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, you know, so we, we t- took it very seriously and, you know, we, we were able to find the joke in that, but also, uh, the real emotion of it too. Well done. Excellent. So was there any time during those old scientists or subspace Rhapsody during scripting or rehearsals where you're like, this is not going to work. Like, how are we going to pull this off or, or was, was it a ultimately confident experience? Oh, we were terrified. It was not going to yeah. work. But, you know, <laughs> the, the, the day that, that, you know, we started out utterly terrified, but I, I was set at ease, um, you know, pretty, pretty quickly. We, we, we were shooting those old scientists when the series premiered. So we were terrified going oh, in wow. hmm. the first couple of days, the series hadn't premiered yet. And then it premiered. And I think it was on day three or day four of shooting that we were certified 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> and that like was such a relief, you know, like, okay, we're, we're doing, we did something right in season one <laughs> and it gave us permission to take this really big swing. All that worked out in the, in a happy way. Uh, I'm like, I did like, uh, the, uh, it, the show premiered couldn't have premiered at a better time when we were taking a, 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 a big swing like that. Okay, so I can't believe that we forgot to ask Kay Hanley and Tom Polchi about this, but where did the idea for the vocal rendition of the main title theme come from? I think that was Akiva. I, I could be wrong. Oh, I could man. be wrong. It was either Akiva or Jeff Russo. It was one, 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 mm. one, one of the two. The studio and the network were really happy with what we had done. And they, they you know, I remember Akiva and Henry said, I think we're going to ask to, you know, the, the money to, to do this. And, and the studio was like, cool. And, you know, uh, they usually don't do that. <laughs> usually have to, there has to be some strong arming, but they, you know, they were like, yeah, do it. Um, and yeah, I, I was lucky. I got to be uh on the uh uh soundstage the day that we recorded that and uh oh. it was uh uh it was incredible it was incredible i i mean i was crying it was so so emotional very yeah. cool did you know at the start of the season that you wanted to have spock take such a large step toward these classic stoicism or was that something you arrived at while you were developing these two episodes for subspace rhapsody um hmm. tom went to toronto while we were still coming up with the story um and he assessed everybody he like went up there first and like basically said okay here are your ringers uh here are people <laughs> who, who can sing but are just it's not, not you know because we have like people like Celia who you know is is uh 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 Broadway uh, star Grammy before winner. she yeah. was a part of our yeah. our show. Yes, uh, uh, Christina Chong, who is, is these amazing, you know, is now a pop star. Um, and yes, uh, <laughs> um, uh, and Rebecca is an amazing singer. Um, and uh, and Ethan had not sung before, uh, but Tom said, "I think he can." Uh, it was like great because we we we're giving him a song. <laughs> uh, yeah. He's got it. You can't have a you can't have a yeah. Star Trek musical without Spock singing. Yeah, yeah. And he worked so hard uh, to, I mean, they all did, but like there are actors like uh, uh, Ethan and Anson who uh, are not singers, you know, first and foremost, and Mm -hmm. they 
everything. They were so, so, so brave. Uh, they, uh, they trusted Tom and they trusted us uh, to uh, go into an area where they were, where they that was far outside of their comfort zones. Uh, and I'm so grateful, uh, that they were willing, willing to do that. And, uh, then, you know, we have, uh, great songs like I'm the X and, Sta- and, uh, status report and private conversation. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, I'm going to go off on a little small tangent here. So Akiva came to all of us at the beginning of the season and Henry, uh, and said at the very beginning of season two, when we were first, first blue skying, what, what we're going to do they said we want to do a musical this year, uh, <sighs> and uh, and I said fuck yes. Um, and, uh, <laughs> we all came back in with like after like we blue sky for like a week or so. Uh, usually at the beginning of each season, we all come in with like five ideas that we five pitches that we you know want, and you know very rarely do these end up being the final ones. But like we you know we all it just helps get the get the you know, story process started. And, and I thought, well, everybody's going to be pitching on the musical. So I, you got to really pitch on the musical because you got to write the musical. Um, <laughs> so I went all in on my pitch on the musical and nobody else pitched on the musical. Uh, I was shocked. <laughs> I had some experience doing musicals before on uh, Kipo and the age of wonder beasts, mm-hmm. which is a, a non-musical musical. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Dana Horgan I quote the episode with she wasn't part of the staff yet. She absolutely would have pitched on the musical if, <laughs> if uh, and I, I've worked with Dana before and Once Upon a Time, and we bonded over our deep love of of, of musicals back in Once Upon a Time. So when she joined, I'm like, oh, I'm writing it with her. I'll be, you know, I I hope and and happily that you know all were all worked out. But in the beginning, the, the the pitch was all about like wanting it to be still feel like a Star Trek episode, still be a full original musical, not a jukebox musical. It was important to me that the science be the cause of why they are all singing. You know, so that's where the idea for the quantum improbability field came in. Um, that it's not, you know, some alien that's forcing them all to sing. If it was an alien, it felt it would feel a little too like magic. Uh, you know, I wanted it to feel like really like a Star Trek episode, and like how do you tie that into the science? You know, and and it was it was about the idea of. I, I was reading Katie Mack's book, The End of Everything, and hmm. uh, in The End of Everything, she talk, uh, which is all about all the different ways that our universe could die. There's a chapter about the heat death of the universe um, where after billions and billions and billions and billions of years, particles will you know not be able to form, but they'll still be bashing together. Uh, but we're talking billions and billions, trillions of years, like yeah. <laughs> so many years you know, ahead that particles will bash together and they, and, and after enough trillions of years, they will reform in, in ways that we might not expect. So suddenly like a piano just might form in the middle of space, <laughs> you know, and that was the, that, so like, uh, it's like, it, they'll inform and they'll, they'll just bash together in improbable ways. And for a minute, you know, like something will completely form. You're like, Oh, I'm a piano player. Oh, cool. I'm just playing. The piano. Oh no, I'm at the end of the universe. And then you, the, the particles, you know, uh, drift off. So that was kind of the idea behind the initial idea behind the improbability field that subspace is a great way to, you know, that's a way to do it. Like rules are different in subspace. Yeah. <laughs> you can have an improbability field, you know, within subspace where, you know, particles are bashing together, you know, like in improbable ways, probably a little faster than, you know, trillions and trillions and trillions <laughs> of years. And, uh, you know, that was our little bit of, you know, science magic to it, but like it was actually rooted in a, in a, in a science thing. And that stayed through, you know, into the episode. 
Yeah. So cool. So, so cool. you kind of half answered this, but you know, after writing Ghosts of Illyria and Lift Us Where Suffering Cannot Reach in season one, were you actively pursuing the more lighthearted uh, concepts in season two? Or I mean, that's, that's quite a range you've you've written there between the two seasons. I, not actively. Uh, it's just I've I've done a lot of animation writing in, in you know my mm-hmm. my past, so I was a natural for. So that was why I got assigned to those old scientists. I I went after, you know, subspace Rhapsody hard, (laughs) the musical hard. I, you know, because I love musicals so much. um, And I, you know, team player, you know, if if somebody else had been assigned to it, I would champion and done all the work. And like, often that happens, like, you know, like there's episodes you want to write. And then, you know, when you're on a show and like, somebody else gets assigned it and you know you, you champion them you, you know while being very jealous <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you champion them but I, I got lucky that I got to write two episodes that uh I was very excited about one that I, you know like just it was natural for me to have done and, and the other thankfully I went after it and they were like okay yeah you write it <laughs> that's gotta feel good man that's how I felt when Cameron and John got to do the press tour with the uh cast of the show I was like really jealous wish I could be there but you know what I'm gonna Prop these guys up and they knocked it out of the park, much like you guys did. Well, we got another caller here, uh, Newman, joining us on the Open Pike Night stage. This is Newman the Space Hippie from the Movies for Days podcast. Growing up when I did, it always sort of felt like every trek was my dad's trek or my older brother's trek, and I was always a tourist. And I feel like with this show, I have a Star Trek that really feels like it's mine. It's the show I'm telling other people about. And that's been really exciting because I have not looked forward to a weekly TV show in a very, very long time the way I look forward to a new episode of Star Trek Strange New Worlds. So I'm really grateful to everybody who works on that show, yourself included, good sir. Let's imagine you are thrust into a writer's room for a Star Trek show where the ship has a holodeck, and you've got carte blanche to do your holodeck episode. What's that look like? Have you thought about it? Newman the Space Hippie, out. Uh, hi, Newman. Listen, I, I, I love holodeck episodes. They're, they're <laughs> so, so awesome. Um, I... I don't know if I'm allowed to like pitch openly, like what, like I, I wish, you know, like I, I would love to answer that question. Um, and you know, uh, I, I'm very proud of like, we, we, we obviously there's no holodeck in, there's a recreation room, you know, that appears in the animated series, but mm-hmm. we don't have a holodeck in, in the original series. Um, but we did essentially do a holodeck episode in season mm. one that Onitra Johnson and Kayla Cooper wrote, um, the Elysian kingdom. And that was, you know, like, I'm, I, you know, I, I know this is gonna sound like a cop out, but that was, that was, I, I felt like not maybe not necessarily a personal dream of mine, but that's like an example of a great dream episode. Like Onitra and Akela got to like write princess bride fairy tale type story, you know, with Umbenga as the king, like, and you don't, tend not to see, you know, uh, black characters playing the Kings and old, you know, in, in, in fairy tale shows. And that was awesome. Uh, yeah. and, and I'm just so glad that we get to tell those, those kinds of, those kinds of stories. In subspace Rhapsody, we see Laon gain some new tools and a starkly new perspective. What is something new that you feel like you learned from writing this episode, despite being such a veteran of the craft? I I learned about 
bravery and comfort zones. Um, this was an episode about about going outside of your 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 comfort zone. I you know, I learned about the nexus of the two and how how careful it has to you know you have to be and how you have to have trust from the people around you uh, when you go outside of your comfort zone. You know, we were able to pull that off with this episode. Everybody on on uh, uh, from the top down, you know, uh, Paul Wesley too, who's who's amazing, and but is not one of our regulars and is not with the cast every day, uh, but uh, really became you know uh, a, a part of that that big support of everybody. Uh, and uh, I want to give a, sh- a shout out to Dan Janot too, who you know um, was so supportive of everybody behind the scenes. Uh, um, in 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 a subspace rhapsody um like that all like all all of that is you know what takes to pull a big big swing like that episode off um i'm glad it worked uh and it might not have and it would have been okay if it if it if it didn't because i think we needed to take that big swing Mm. um (laughs) and it takes it takes that 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 nexus of bravery and support so i think i learned i learned about uh, a little bit about how to uh achieve that and and credit to Dermot Downs brilliant director uh Dermot Downs for uh uh being our 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 champion uh and our guide through through our, our brave guide through through that episode yeah so we've got one uh, more write in we've got one more write in from Marie she asks if you had more time for more songs in subspace rhapsody what would you have liked to include and i'm very eager to hear the answer to this I would have loved to have done a tap dance number on the transporter. Oh, uh, <laughs> we didn't have time for it. <laughs> did you? Did you have an idea of who would be involved? It, w- it would have been a La'an number, probably. Um, but but I, you know, there it would have, you know, people transporting in and out, like tap dancing, and you know, like <sighs> we we just we didn't have. I mean, we we never even came close. I never even made it into in, in into the script phase, but like that was something mm-hmm. we had talked about, and it you know, it was just uh, a a step too mm-hmm. am, ambitious uh, to to pull off. But it was, um, you know, that was one set that I wished we had been able to put to, to put to use in uh, a musical number. I'm sorry, but a step too ambitious is a great name for that <laughs> number also. <laughs> yeah, you should name the song that. <laughs> was there any talk of having a uh, Kirk Brothers duet? I think that was the only one where we were like, oh, we would have loved to have seen those two sing off against each other. Like brother versus brother. We did. We did. We 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 had, uh, um, yes, I mean, that would have been glorious if we would have been able to get, you know, Dan and, and, and uh, Paul <laughs> to have their own number. Uh, but yeah, and that was, by the way, that's that was a longer episode too. I mean, oh, we, yeah. we, you know, yeah. we went over on that episode. Um, yeah. So that was, uh, we were already straining Understood. the limits of yeah. like how, of, you know. <laughs> yeah. just, just fantasizing about the feature length version. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but if anybody earned a little bit of extra time, I think it's yeah. you and your yeah. team. Because, wow. <laughs> All right. Here's our last caller, Mark, returning to the open bike night stage. Do you hear the people sing? Say, do you hear the distant drums? Is the future that they bring when tomorrow comes? So on that note, it is Engineer Mark here. And welcome to Captain Bill Walkoff on Open Pike Night again. (laughs) Stating how much I am so amazed by all of your firm devotion to getting done what is right for everyone involved. And 
I will always be there for you guys and fully back it as much as I possibly can. And on the show side, well, yeah, those old scientists, the crossover, that was so perfectly well done. It could have gone so wrong, and it didn't. And then, of course, Subspace Rhapsody. I've already talked to you a bit about that, that, yeah, I adore the musicals, and, oh, that was so incredible, especially that clip you shared. That is hilarious and fun. Oh, it's so wonderful to see. And looking forward to what we can get next, which I know is going to be a little ways off. But yeah, thank you for everything. Live long and prosper. Thank you, Engineer uh, Engineer Mark, I think was yep. his name, right? Yep. Yeah. Uh, yep. But I don't know what the question was there. Was there a oh, question? Oh, no, that wasn't I'm... really a question. Just, <laughs> nope. just praise. Just, That's a yeah. Yeah, patented <laughs> thanks from Open Pike Night. He's one of our biggest supporters, so we figured let's let's have him voice thank, that. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. I'll, I'll find a question in yeah. there to talk about the weight. Are you able to tell us what filming might take place on season three i know there's some dates out there on the ether i don't know if they can be confirmed we are i mean we're moving very quickly um and we 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 were in the middle of uh writing uh season three when uh Mm -hmm. we went on strike We've been back. The right, you know, the writers' room is back, and uh, people are coming back. I, I don't know if I'm allowed to give exact dates yet, but but it'll be, you know, uh, it'll be soon. Um, we 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 had not started shooting before the strike, which is okay. fortunate because yeah. uh, then that that spared us all from being in the awkward position of having to not be on set uh, when our episodes were being filmed. We are now. Getting the band back together. Nice. Getting, oh man, <laughs> getting ready to get get back, roll up sleeves, and get back to it. Bailing some people out of like supermax prison. It's like <laughs> yeah. we need you back. Yeah. <laughs> you son of a bitch. Yeah. I'm in. Yeah. Well, speaking of all that, you know, our our season two one word tease was a very popular segment. So, uh, if if you would, do you have a one word tease for the upcoming season three? We can cling on to until. We finally get it on our on our screens <laughs> whenever that happens. Oh boy, uh, I, I had not prepared for this. I should have I should have I should have gotten myself uh, ready for my 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 one word. Uh, all right, uh, insert uh, Jeopardy music here <laughs> while I think. Um, <laughs> You're taking this seriously. Wow. Everybody waits. Oh, you're good. Yeah. So so, so long here. Uh, I'm trying. Well, it's it's my fear of like saying something too much, you know? Right. right, right. (laughs) Well, last time you gave us go. (laughs) I know. And that was so short. We were like, how, what could this possibly be? And then Spock sits in the captain's chair and says, go. And I got to tell you, man, we all three (laughs) lost it (laughs) when that happened. We were like, thank you, Bill. Also, wow, Spock. So it doesn't need to be much, and it doesn't need to have context. Just that single word. I, I'm just gonna think about like the, the the general feeling that you know we we have. I I know exactly what I'm gonna say. Now I, 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 I I'm gonna right. say more tagus. Oh! Hey! You heard it here first. But I'm gonna say more tagus. You know us so well. Well, oh, man, fantastic. full circle, you guys. Seriously, like, come on. Thank you so much, Bill. That was great. Yeah. Thank you, Bill. Thank you. I hope that, I hope that was worth the yeah. build up. A hundred percent. Do you have yeah. any plugs, social media, anything going on you want to plug real quick? Plug in the Writers Guild contract, which has already been ratified. 
uh, SAG-AFTRA actors, uh, all this month we are members, uh, all this month there are going to be informational meetings. Go to the informational meetings, get yourself. There's a lot of controversy out there about the SAG-AFTRA contract right now. I encourage all members to go to the go to the meetings and, and get informed. Uh, and uh, 2024 is when uh, IOTC, and very specifically, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be selfishly plug the Animation Guild. Uh, they, their contract is up. And uh, the Animation Guild uh, writers face just as many existential threats and artists, not just writers, uh, designers, directors, uh, uh, storyboard artists, um, everybody in, in, the, in the animators, uh, they are facing just as many existential threats as as, as SAG-AFTRA and the WGA did, uh, and the WGA is going to be there for for the Animation Guild when you know their con when they go in to negotiate their contract in twenty four in whatever form that negotiation takes. Excellent, union strong. Yeah, now I plugged unions. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta stay on brand. Thank you so much for coming back. Of course, like, of course. Thank your you, time everybody. is incredibly valuable, and you help make Open Pike Night just an absolute joy to put together. And so thank you on our behalf, but also all the listeners and callers. Thank you. Thank you. Good night, gentlemen. Uh, till the next time, thank you for doing a great podcast and for supporting the show. Thank you to our listeners, supporters, and our 25-minute set Patreon supporters, Steve, Mark, and Pam. You can become a supporter at patreon.com slash openpike. Help us keep the lights on and enjoy lots of bonus episodes, videos, commentaries, and much more. Join today. Patreon.com slash OpenPike. All right. Well, where can people find us, Jesse? The easiest way to get everything you need for Open Pike Night is to go to OpenPike.com. There you can find easy ways to record and send your messages, as well as all of our written articles and transcripts of every episode. It's really all right there in one place. Of course, if you'd like to follow on social media, basically any channel you can think of, we are at OpenPike. They're not all actively maintained, but if you message us or talk to us on one of those platforms, we will reply. I promise. And where can people find more of us, John T. Bolds? They can find you and I. They can find more of us on Green Shirt, a newbie's track through TNG, which is your podcast to make up for your failure of never watching Star Trek The Next Gosh. Generation when we were kids. You're watching it now, and we're recording it episode by episode. It is fun. It is irreverent. And uh, yeah, there's um, there's a lot of dick jokes. But we track every <laughs> dildo-shaped prop TNG is thrown at us. Yes, we do. We absolutely do. And if you go to openpike.com, be sure to sign up for our newsletter so you know who we're interviewing next so that we can hear your voice on the Open Pike Night stage. Uh, we have Dana Gasparine up next, mm -hmm. who is our first Star Trek Strange New Worlds editor. And I think that's going to be a great interview. Very excited for that. I've done my fair share of video editing, so going to geek out fully on her. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's going to be going to be some very editing nerdy questions coming up. And she has quite the editing resume, perhaps unsurprisingly. Mm. There is probably something on her IMDb that you have seen. And she was a production assistant on The Dark Knight Rises. Like, that's pretty big. Like... All, yeah. all roles are big, and that movie was huge. So, yeah, definitely get ready for that. And, of course, as John mentioned, if you'd like to sign up for the newsletter, there is a link on our website. But if you prefer to just go directly to it, that is openpike.substack.com. Yes, it's on Substack, but it is totally free. The Open Pike Night crew has to go sit around and consider what Bill's one-word tease could possibly have meant. <laughs> 
What could Mortagus mean? Hmm. What could it mean for Open Pike Night? Hmm. So be sure to clean up after yourselves. Be sure to tip your servers. You can go anywhere you want, but you can't stay here.